0: Greetings, Gente Puente! In today's episode, Dr. Rick Lopez, musician and liturgist, shares his insights on preparing a parish family for bilingual liturgies, particularly during Holy Week. You can find a summary of today's show and all the resources mentioned at pattycc.com slash 24.
1: Are we really doing what God has asked us to do? Is this consistent with the gospel, separate but equal arrangement? Is that really consistent with the preachings of Christ, who in, in, in his entire life was willing, dined, served, and, and preached with everybody present?
0: Para los que estaban esperando una entrevista en español, les pido disculpas. Al último momento, decidimos cambiar al inglés pensando que hay que tener la mayoría de estas conversaciones sobre la planificación de las liturgias bilingües a nivel de liderazgo de la parroquia, donde mayormente se usa el inglés. Si prefieres español, Tú puedes encontrar un resumen en español de la entrevista y los vínculos a todos los recursos mencionados en patycc.com diagonal S24. I'm Patti Gutiérrez from Patti's Catholic Corner. Our team serves Catholic ministers like you who want to connect with the Hispanic community. We make your ministry easier by sharing best practices, resources and encouragement through this Gente Puente podcast and our Facebook group. We help you focus on your ministry through our Catholic translation services. Get a quote today at pattycc.com/services. My guest today is Dr. Rick Lopez. After nearly 40 years leading music in parishes, he's now the Associate Director of Music and Liturgy for the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, in Texas. He is a Doctor of Musical Art and teaches a class called Multicultural Liturgy for the Masters of Sacred Music program at the University of St. Thomas. He also serves as the Chair of the Hispanic Liturgical Ministry Development Committee of the Southwest Liturgical Conference. As you can imagine, with all his experience and expertise, once we got started on this very big and complex topic, we had a hard time stopping. So I have actually decided to divide this interview into two parts. In today's episode, doctor Rick will share his suggestions for the kind of preparation that needs to happen in a parish even before celebrating a bilingual mass some of the formation and planning that should go into the Bilingual Liturgy, and some resources he recommends. He will also describe the Triduum and share some of the things to consider for Holy Week celebrations in multicultural parishes. At the end of the show, I will share the liturgical rubrics from the third edition of the Roman Missal, as well as recap the process Dr. Rick recommends step by step. In the next episode, Dr. Rick will dive into more detailed suggestions for music ministers and share many resources specifically for them. I will also share best practices for bilingual liturgies and a summary of copyright information for Catholic worship guides. That's a lot to cover, so let's get started by listening to my interview with Dr. Rick. Welcome, Dr. Rick, to the Gente Puente podcast. Thanks for being on today.
1: Thank you for the invitation, Patty.
0: Sure. I'm going to start us off with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Lord, we come before you so grateful for all the many blessings that you have given us, especially for the gift of serving in your church. We know that we are not perfect, and so we thank you for your mercy and for choosing to work through our broken humanity. Lord Jesus, you pray that we would be one as you and the Father are one. Pour out your Spirit as we strive to be gente puente, uniting the body of Christ. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in us the fire of your love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Dr. Rick, before we dive into talking about bilingual liturgies, can you share with us a little bit about yourself, your background, your ministry, your vocation?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, my my formal title is I'm Associate Director of Music and Liturgy for the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. There are three of us full-time for the Office of Worship here and much of my responsibility is to of course uh, work with uh, help with resources and formation for our music ministers throughout the 145 parish uh, archdiocese here uh, i have worked in the catholic church as a music minister for most of my life i don't want to tell you how old i am but it <laughs> all- that really is really where my experience is grounded in and in, in working at the church at the parish level mm-hmm. and then only within the last 10 10 plus years did i add the dimension of working at the archdiocesan level in in that context, I am latino I was born in Los Angeles. Uh, and all of my, and mu- much of my uh, family heritage comes from San Antonio, Texas, and from Mexico. My parents were second generation born here, and I'm third generation born here in the United States. My first language is English, and I've been able to, you know, through the years and through, through different situations, of, have learned to speak Spanish pretty well, but it certainly is my se- second language. But I'm, mm. I'm proud to say that uh, I can converse and, uh, and, 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 and occasionally even lecture when I'm asked in, <laughs> in Spanish.
0: Tell us a little about your family.
1: Oh, my family, yes, thank you. I have two sons and a grandson, uh, one son in Southern California, uh, where I went to school, and I have a son and a grandson here in in Houston with me. Thank you. Yes, of course. I
0: appreciate that you're able to come here today and talk about your expertise in liturgy and in music. Let me first say that I recognize there are places in the country that are facing a reality that have multilingual liturgies and many cultures coming together, but since our audience is targeted towards those working with the Hispanic community, today we're going to focus more on the English-Spanish bilingual liturgies. Very good. So let's start by talking about why or why not uh, to have bilingual liturgies in the first place. What are the pros and the cons, or what should a pastoral team consider before deciding to have a bilingual liturgy? Mm -hmm. Can you kind of talk us through some of those?
1: Sure. And, and as I, as I, as I do that, let me just preface a little bit uh, about some of the thought processes that I think should happen before the decision. And one of them is, of course, just a, a general recognition of the cultures in a parish. As you already alluded to, Patty, we have, we have parishes now. Uh, all over the country that are uh, very diverse. Uh, here in the Archdiocese of Houston, Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, for example, our Cardinal boasts on, an, on a regular basis that we are celebrating liturgies here in, in our Archdiocese, 17 languages. Every weekend, wow. seventeen languages. The first step I think we have to 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 come to grips with is that our church has changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it isn't. It, it is still changing, of course, because it's always evolved. It has always evolved mm-hmm. up until Council of Trent. But up until that time, our church was in a constant mode of adaptation, lit, uh, culturally, liturgically, for fifteen hundred years. Our church adapted to continue to grow as as, a, as our mm-hmm. church grew as the boundaries of, of Catholicism grew in in Europe, etc., etc. Of course, the, the liturgy grew along with it. Um, and and as it should have, we adapted. We it was it was in a constant state of adaptation, cultural liturgical adaptation, up until the Council of Trent, yeah. then and everything kind of stopped. And and now here we are again, post Vatican II, and there and there is dialogue. There are very specific rubrics within the Constitution CSL that are embracing the diversity. Uh, and, and the future diversity of the church, they already saw it coming. It was not only present, but it was eminent and w- would continue. And it certainly has uh, ever since. So it is that acknowledgement that, that our church has changed, it will continue to change. And mm-hmm. then it has to be that, well... Um, What are we going to do about it? The point of all this is that we do live in a very, very diverse community, culture, and faith today in this country. We're already there. So then at at the parish level, there has to be a discernment about the cultures that are present in that par- in that parish, and is there a dominant one? Are there two dominant ones? Um, are there three? Whatever the case may be, and I think that that the pastoral leadership, uh, pastor, and maybe a group of parishioners from within have to, uh, at some point, will probably acknowledge that hey, you know, this parish has attracted a large contingency of of Hispanic parishioners, of uh, and, and so on and so forth, and. Uh, alongside the the other dominant culture probably anglo and at some point um there has to be that dialogue or what are we doing about this how are we serving all of our family here our parish family here are we really serving the needs of quote unquote our parish family today whatever that consists of the answer to that question is probably not that should be the opening of a dialogue about how to how do we do this better? How can we do this better? Do we have the clergy to serve the needs of this parish? Do we need to do something about that? Do we have the the leadership at the parish for the ministries uh, to serve the the cultures that are present here in, in in this particular parish? So I think those questions need to be asked at some point, and at some point um it's going to be obvious that that um something something else needs to be done differently than what they've been doing yes you can go down the road for years and years and years with two families under one roof never coming together and that that is a way i mean i mean good or bad that is a, that is a methodology uh separate parishes on, using the same building right we know that happens we know that it happens uh you know Sadly, more often than than it should. But if the pastoral leadership is sensitive about that, um, hopefully somebody will start to ask the question, and hopefully it's the pastor and and, and his his colleagues start to ask the question. Do, do, do we just continue down this road, or what questions need to be asked? Uh, hopefully. Uh, on a regular basis, but especially when it becomes painfully obvious that you know that that, that we're not really serving—is are we really doing what God has asked us to do? Is this consistent with the gospel? Separate but equal arrangement—is mm-hmm. that really consistent with preachings of Christ, who in, in in his entire life was willing, dined, served, and and preached with everybody present?
0: Yeah. So let's say there's a pastor or a minister listening. And they're in a community that so far has basically been what you're describing as two separate communities celebrating with the one church building, mm-hmm. um, and he would like or they would like as a parish leadership would like to start coming together more. What would you suggest?
1: Well, of course, let me let me preface what I'm about to say is yes, I mean the discussions about you know bilingual, multilingual liturgies uh, at some point need to take place let me let me let me come into that with however the the best way to do that is to uh is to open the dialogue and to have other aspects of that parish already coming together in other dimensions non-liturgical okay. for example if there is a parish council for example is a parish council representing just one of the cultural communities there or in fact does that parish council uh, also include the two dominant communities. That's one example. How are the other ministries represented? Are are the formation programs in the parish, are they are they one in Spanish, one in English? Or is there something that could be combined there? Is there a time to maybe think about pulling those together? Of course, the other ministries, we have, there's a liturgical group or a liturgical ministry that's already meeting on a regular basis. You know, a, a lot of parishes by the documents have been asked to form liturgy committees, right? Okay, so we have a liturgy committee that meets once month or once every few weeks okay fine well who's on that committee uh, we have are the Hispanic are the Hispanic uh, liturgy ministers also invited? Are they participating in that? Whether it's the, whether it's the, uh, the the leader of the of the of the lectores or the leader of of the hospitalidad the hospitality committee? Are they already all meeting together? So all these things, and then are there also social gatherings that are taking place? The parish has a an annual uh, bazaar, whatever the case may be. Are are both cultures part of those other social activities and all those things need to be also very very much in part and parcel to the ultimate goal of celebrating together in other words celebrating if you just throw that into the mix let's have a bilingual liturgy and they never have met before at all right. on any other grounds whether it's in me- meetings or, or 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 social or whatever the case may be it's going to be very very difficult to it's it's almost like that's a to- well let's let's throw this mass out of it's not, i hate to say it you, <laughs> right. but it's almost like a token right So, so I'm so as I said to answer your question, yes, there are there are methodologies we plan and to bring a lit a bilingual multicultural liturgy together. But what I can't not underemphasize or overemphasize the importance of. Making sure that cultures are already meeting somehow, some way, in outside of the liturgy yes. as well.
0: What are the specific differences or things to consider with regard to the Triduum, which is the liturgy of the Holy Week that extends from Holy Thursday to Good Friday to the Easter Vigil? Right. What are some special considerations about Holy Week?
1: Let me talk, let me talk about, um, Holy Thursday itself, the beginning of the Tridium. When we speak about the, the essence of that liturgy or the, the, the theology of that liturgy, we are commemorating the Last Supper, aren't we? We are commemorating the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, which he, which he held with his apostles, and now he hands on the priesthood to them. So this is a very, very, obviously, uh, a very, very important liturgy of, of our liturgical year, right? So so let's talk about that. So when people tell me, well, we're going to have two. We're going to have two Holy Thursday Masses. We're going to have one in English and one in Spanish, and I have to shake my head. Do you not understand what this is about? What? Okay, so let me go on a little bit further about the liturgy itself. Commemoration, the um, Lord's Supper, right? It is the Last Supper. Our liturgy of the Eucharist today is founded on that very lit on that very celebration that He had with His apostles. He washes their feet. He makes them priests. He we He asks them. He tells them, "Do this in memory of Me. This is My body. This is My blood. Drink this, eat this, in memory of Me." Our liturgy. Every time we celebrate Mass its is it it is we are remembering that what happens after at the end of the mass, the celebrant picks up uh, the the uh, body of Christ, reposes it to a, pl- a re- place of reposition for adoration. Right, the symbolism of that of that procession and that adoration is that Christ at the end of the dinner, the uh, Seder D- meal, went to the Mount of Olives to pray and was followed by his disciples so they could pray with him because he had already shared with them about his his the, the passion the next day. That's what that says. That's what that symbolism is. It is Christ going to the mount, going to the place of reposition, and his disciples going to pray with him at the Mount of Olives, and that is us going to pray for him. And with him, for about, it's about to take place the next day. So, it's, how do we duplicate that, Patty? Who do we do we close it down and move him back to back to the church where we just had him, and then move him back again? I, that's 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 just I know that's a real uh, what's the word simplistic uh, justification for not doing it twice. But I I don't know how else to say it. If we truly understand, if we truly appreciate what we are celebrating that night in in the commemoration of the original Holy Thursday, I don't know how we can do that more than one time.
0: Right. We will continue my conversation with Dr. Rick in a moment. But I wanted to take a minute to talk to those of you who may be feeling overwhelmed right now. Or maybe you're feeling inspired by Dr. Rick's description of the Holy Thursday liturgy and you really want to try it bilingually, but you're not sure where to start. Don't worry. Later in the show, he mentions a very practical book that will walk you through all the things he's mentioning here and much more. Dr. Rick is also open to coming to give a workshop in your diocese, which he mentions at the end and if you visit the show notes page for this episode at pattycc.com 24, you can download a cheat sheet I put together, preparing your parish for a bilingual mass. It includes a step-by-step summary of Dr. Rick's suggestions and a list of some great resources. And in the next episode, I will have a lot more resources ready to share, including best practices for bilingual liturgies and lots of information for music ministers. Just remember Celebrating together is the ultimate goal, and even if you're not there yet, we can all take baby steps towards integration and coming together as the one body of Christ. After all, we're Gente Puente. Now let's continue my conversation with Dr. Rick. So what are your suggestions for a parish that has not reached the point that you described before of integration outside of liturgy? As a new community has come in, or maybe in a community that's been there a while but they haven't been integrated into the full parish, what are the suggestions then? Is there a way? Is it all or nothing? Are there different options for the way to handle the liturgies during Holy Week?
1: Well, unfortunately, as, as I said a few minutes ago, there are any number of parishes that are still that are still operating as separate families under one roof. We, we acknowledge that. I acknowledge that. We all we all have to. Mm-hmm. Um, but as as far as the the Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and the Vigil on Saturday, the the three tritium liturgies, mm-hmm. um, I I know it happens. Um, I haven't had to experience it myself in, in in a long time, but I but I do know it takes place.
0: Is there in the liturgical guidelines a stipulation that there needs to only be one in each parish community, or is there a an exception in the liturgy guidelines or the rules? About that.
1: Right. In the Ordo, it says celebration of other Masses, where a pastoral reason requires that the local ordinary may permit another Mass to be celebrated in churches in the evening. And in case of genuine necessity, even in the morning, but only the faithful who are in no way able to participate in the evening mass. Care should nevertheless be given. Celebration do not take place for the advantage of private persons or special small groups and do not prejudice the evening mass. So it, it looks like it can be done with the permission of the ordinary mm-hmm. and, and depending on, on the part, whatever part of the country it is, uh, apparently the, that the ordinary could give that, um, does have that authority to, to allow it, uh, to to happen
0: and so far you've only been speaking about holy thursday is what you described is only the case on holy thursday or does it apply to the entire triduum
1: no here it is let's talk a little bit about good friday um good friday that is actually not a, a eucharist of the liturgy the forms for good friday are basically uh liturgy of the word there is the adoration and then there is communion, but even communion is basically distributed right that the communion that takes place on Good Friday is from for example the hosts from holy Thursday so i I would argue that and because I know how our Latino community is accustomed to celebrating Good Friday as opposed to quote unquote the, the Anglo community. Um, I would say that in that case, and because it is not a liturgy of the a formal liturgy of the Eucharist, but with three parts of, of of the liturgy that I just described, um, I have often seen, uh, you know, a this the the traditional a Good Friday liturgy at you know like three o'clock in the afternoon, right, Patty, when it's when it's recommended. But I've also seen my my Latino uh, uh, brethren brothers and sisters celebrated at night. A same, same type of format, and here's where it gets much, can typically get much more elaborate, is in fact that adoration, right? The adoration of the cross. where The norm for, for most Anglo uh, parishioners is the cross is exposed, the cross is accessible, people will come up and kiss it, uh, pray it pray it at its foot, whatever the case may be, for a moment and two, etc. Et now, as you and I both know, in some of our Latino communities, that that's not acceptable. We have per, you know processions at that part of the adoration. We have processions of cross. We have a processions uh, long and involved with with different prayers uh, uh, during that whole time. And that that is that is a whole other spirituality, Latino spirituality. So so there that that celebration uh, is is vastly different. It's theologically not different, but it's how it's celebrated and how they worship on that particular day. So I would, I, I dare say that on Good Friday, the uh, uh, acceptable notice uh, of, of having a Latino Good Friday and an Anglo Good Friday are much, what's the word here? I think uh, they're much more acceptable. And because I've seen it, you know, several times and, and they're just, they because they're, they're just vastly different. The spirituality of the Latino community, as opposed to the Anglo. And so that, and, and I don't think there's any real, real, I don't have any real, real, uh, and maybe that's personal, but I don't have any real issues there. Now let's go on to, to the vigil. So, so again, back to this meeting, Patty, that I referenced, if we're going to have a bilingual uh, vigil, there's, uh, for for obvious reasons, just b- by the very nature of that liturgy, there's a lot more involved, isn't there? I mean, but but uh, of course, the whole initiation, everything else, is a whole other piece of it. But that meeting has to take place, you know, well in advance. But now, actual rubrics of how that might happen is is this: I I have uh, experienced many many times, uh, for example, uh, when we get into to to the readings at, at the liturgy of the word at the opening, it's it's very easily done to to actually share those readings uh, uh alternating between english and spanish for example and including the psalmody, you can do a, com- a combination of things depending on how the readings are parsed out and uh, to to the various electors english spanish etc i i would often also uh, mix up the the psalmdy i maybe do one of the uh, a psalm this in english psalm this in spanish and of course uh, as much as reasonable, as long as it was fair, you know, fairly equitable, uh, bilingual versions of the psalm. Um, and the good news is that, um, in, in, this day and age, there are plenty of bilingual settings of, of, all of that, all of that psalmody. In fact, most of the psalmody from our, from our, from our liturgies uh, during the year. Daily psalmody is a little bit more difficult, but, but particularly, uh, our, our Sunday Eucharist, major feast days, and of course, tritium liturgies. All that psalmody now has been set bilingually by more than, even more than one or two publishers.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there any recommendations or guidelines about the other pieces of mass like the Eucharistic prayer mm-hmm. and the rites of RCA inside of the Easter vigil?
1: Yeah, there are um there are publications out now for for the RCA um and again what that requires is the good news is with our new Missal Romano there are there are parts of that for, that that have the uh, the, the rights of, of initiation in there, and again, what's that going to require, Patty? What that's going to require is your pastoral leadership to get on board as well, and hopefully he can uh, take the time to uh, reasonably kind of go back and forth between the two languages it, sometimes it means it means putting a, a book together specifically for that, but and it takes time um, the, the, you're, you might need to put together a bilingual script for your celebrant and for for, for the rite itself, but it can be done and it is being done more and more uh, often these but it, it does require some attention and and some practice in some cases by the celebrant. Uh, to easily and fluidly go between the two languages, but it can be done.
0: What would be some of your practical advice or tips for somebody planning these liturgies to help the congregation to prepare ahead of time, not just the musicians and the ministers, but Mm -hmm. how do you prepare the broader congregation to come together, and how do you help them in the actual liturgy to participate more fully?
1: Right. I think that that's a very good question. And there's no, unfortunately, there's no easy answer to that. However, this is one thing that I have seen work is that, for example, once the decision is made to have uh, a bilingual celebration, and maybe it's a tritium celebration or what, or, or not, or whatever the case may be, one of the things I would, I would highly encourage the pastoral leadership to do is that slowly, slowly start to introduce the idea. Slowly try to introduce the idea. One of the things that can be done pretty easily, we already have Spanish language masses. We already have our English language masses. So hopefully there are already resources in the pews, right, Patty, that have that have the uh, the liturgy in both languages, the readings in both languages. Mm-hmm. What I would do is sometime before this the the actual multicultural liturgy take place, why not on occasion, as long as the readings are there in front of in both languages in front of the assembly, why not on occasion. Have the second reading or maybe the first reading in, in, in the corresponding language. Why? Because it's already going to be there in the langu- in, in, the other language, hopefully. As we know, the, one of the mislet resources is called Unidos en Cristo, right? That's just one. There's several out there now mm-hmm. where both languages are present on corresponding pages, right? right. Very easily done. Um, and so th- th- if maybe the first reading could be in Spanish, and it's just on the other page, uh, 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 either across from it or right behind it, is that same reading in English. And that's the kind of thing you want to have. You're not trying to isolate anybody. And we, we all were told uh, years ago that, you know, the readings should be such that we don't really need to be seeing them. We should just be listening to them and, and letting them into, into our hearts and minds what we get into multicultural liturgies, is we have to be a little bit more practical mm-hmm. because we don't want to isolate anybody that, that doesn't understand that language. So we have to open that. We have to be open to that and, and make sure that they are still part of that collective conscious participation. What that means is let's make sure that, that if we're reading the first reading in Spanish, that the English reading people know what we're, we're praying, know that what we're presenting because it's right there in the book just on another page. So that's the kind of thing. And then, little by little, um, if if we start to do that on, you know, maybe, I don't know if you want to do it every Sunday, but on occasional Sundays or whatever the case may be, and then at your Spanish language mass, also do it. First reading now is going to be in English because the Spanish, the corresponding Spanish, is in the book, readily available and visible to to the assembly gathered as well. So those are little bitty subtle things that start to um, w- what you're doing is you're introducing the idea, aren't you? Then the, so that's on the on the on the practical side. The, the, obviously, your celebrant can do the same thing with some of the prayers. Now that might require. Uh, his, his own script or having both books in front of him, the Roman Missal 3 and Misal Romano here and whatever the case may be. But he could also, every once in a while, just start to, to go between, you know, to incorporate parts of the Prayer Eucharistic Prayer, for example, or whatever the case may be Mm -hmm. in Spanish. What you're doing is you're kind of, you're kind of getting your assemblies, because we're talking about, you know, at this point, we're talking about separate communities, getting them used to the idea that it on a very subtle, but slow, but not dramatic basis, what's the word? Uh, Not aggressive. You're introducing this other language. And what you're also doing is you're kind of reminding them, oh yeah, we do have this other family here. Oh yeah, we we do have, we, we, we are, our parish does consist of more than this one culture, more than this one language. So little subtle things like that um, maybe as you approach the the full bilingual liturgy, just simple little uh, 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 changes, but not exclusions just just doing it slightly different but not excluding so it has you have to be careful what resources you have in front of your your parishioner's hands but it can be done obviously and um, I think there are ways that you start you start to to introduce the concept and I think it's a great way to do that is there's just some ideas on how to do that. And, you know, maybe a year or two, Patty, right? It may not be that year that you do the bilingual uh, tritium or the bilingual whatever the case may be. It may not be that year. Or it
0: may be kind of incorporating little by little some of these aspects towards the end goal of the ideal in the end where we want to get to, but we're not exactly.
1: there yet. Exactly. It could be. It could go either way. Absolutely correct. It could go either way.
0: Yeah. Well, you've mentioned a few resources that are out there for bilingual, especially um, with regard to the music and that uh, you sent me a list that I'll put links in the mm-hmm. show notes to some of those bilingual resources for music ministers. Great. Are there other resources in general for those? I know this is such a large topic and we could talk for hours and we won't. So <laughs> for the, those that are listening that want to dive in deeper or learn more about this issue, are there other resources you would recommend that they take a look at?
1: Yes. Like I said, um, for uh, I gave you some for the music, but but also for liturgy uh, in general. One of the things that that I think is so critical that we we even as as uh, liturgists that that work mostly in the English language world is as you as you know, Patty. We just last year introduced the new tercera edición de misa romano. Right, mm-hmm. we just introduced it. Uh, as in our own, uh, as in the English Roman Missal from uh, third Roman Missal from two thousand eleven. I would highly encourage the reading and the study, if possible, of a general instruction of the Misal Romano. The, like what we call the germ is also at the beginning of the new Misal the, the third edition of the Misal Romano in Spanish. And if anybody's serious about understanding the rubrics of the liturgy the this and that I would highly recommend that they um, take some time to to pick out some of the some of the most basic stuff the beginning of the of the the Roman Missal the other book again I know I'm coming from a music side that I I use often is the book from that was published by the uh, Conference of Bishops uh, Cantemos al Señor. The original one was kind of sing to the Lord. It's kind of been the handbook for our English language music ministers for a number of years now. It's 2007, 2008, I think it came out. And they, sure enough, about 2008 or so, they, they, they published Cantemos al Señor. And I would highly recommend that anybody serious about, uh, being in charge of of music at their at their parish, and there 's lots of there 's lots of liturgical elements in there as well liturgical references about about the liturgy in jail. I use it often in in some of the lectures that I do for hispanic music ministers and of course, I sent you one, and I think it 's absolutely critical um patty uh, published a few years ago. Spanish and English together. And the English, the English title of it is called Liturgy in a Culturally Diverse Community, a Guide Towards Understanding. The Spanish backside of it is La Liturgia en una comunidad de diversas culturas, una guía para entenderla. And this is, and this was published a few years ago by, by Father Mike Francis and Brother Rufino Zaragoza. And I was, I was blessed enough to be part of the, of the, uh, this latest version of this has been around for a number of years. But anybody, seriously, anybody pastors, ministers, liturgical ministers, all levels serious about the discussion and possible implementation of a multicultural liturgy must take a look at this guide um, by Mark Francis and Rufino Salagosa. And like I said, the English is Liturgy in a Culturally Diverse Community, published by the FDLC. And I've used this actually in, in liturgy committees that are considering seriously considering expanding the uh, the masses or the celebration of liturgy at their parish uh into into more than one language and and i say don't do anything until the leadership of that committee has digested this this guide because it is a, it is absolutely tremendously valuable and uh, will give good guidelines references the do, the documents from the constitution uh, et cetera, et cetera, those are very, very important.
0: great. if there is a diocesan leader listening and they say i don 't have time to do all this research, Dr. Rick, I just want you to come. Can <laughs> you tell uh, about the kind of workshops that you 're available to do and how they can get in touch with you?
1: Sure, some of the workshops that i 've done already are as I, as I shared with you um, i've i 've done workshops on on how to how to celebrate bilingual liturgies, how to plan them, how to celebrate them musically right um, i 've done workshops on parts of the mass. Uh, you know, uh, intro, uh, liturgy of the word, liturgy of the Eucharist, etc., r- r- communion, l- music for the different parts of the Mass. I've done workshops on music for the seasons, uh, you know, recommendations for our Sundays in Advent, recommendations for our Sundays in Lent, recommendations for the Tritium liturgies. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Uh, so those are just some of the examples. I've done. I've done workshops very recently on vocal production. You know, basic vocal production as well. Um, but the best way to get a hold of me is really through my office at the uh, office of worship here, and it's very very simple. Mia, it's R L O P E Z at A R dot
0: Great. We'll put that in the show notes too, so there'll be a link.
1: I appreciate that.
0: As we wrap up, could you close with some words of encouragement? Maybe there's a minister listening that's frustrated or they've hit a wall in ministry or all of this bridge building is just exhausting. Mm-hmm. What could you say to encourage them?
1: What I would encourage them to do is to don't give up, don't give up. If it is with deep within your heart and that God has called you God has called you to do this and it is in your heart to do it and to do it to the best of God's gifts that He gave to you to do it and to to go find go find the materials, go find the people to to help you uh, as much as possible because they are out there now having said that, it does take a little effort and it takes some work and it takes sometimes even some research but there's but I'm going to say to you Patty, Today more than ever, and we still need lots, right? We still need lots more stuff. But today more than ever, there are more resources for our ministers on on all sides, on our liturgical ministers' laws, than there ever have been. We need more stuff published. We need more stuff that's out there. We need more stuff that is multi multimedia, right? We need more stuff like that. But but more today more than ever, it is out there. Don't get discouraged. Get on the internet. Go find it. Call somebody. Ask for references call your local archdiocesan office, diocesan office, go to the publishers. They're very good resources, OCP, World Library, GIA, whatever the case may be, LTP. Go at, go call them, ask them, get 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 on the phone with them and, and, and tell them what you're looking for and what you need. And uh, most of the time, they're going to send you at least in the right direction. There isn't anybody that I know that doesn't do what I do, Patty, mm-hmm. that is not willing to help Somehow, some way, especialmente nuestros ministros de, de, de la comunidad latina. Uh, we don't turn down anybody. We, we find a way that we can pass because we know how hard it is out there. And uh, mm-hmm. nobody should ever be turned down. Nobody should ever be discouraged. But it does take a little bit of effort.
0: All right. Thank you. Uh, before we go, can you please close in prayer for all those who serve the church?
1: Yes, of course. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, help me to feel free enough to let go and to pursue and to never give up, but to let you take over my life, take over my ministry, take over this that you have put in my heart to accept your presence in my life. Transform my ego to give way to humble service and set free my self-consciousness, my concerns, my timidity, lighten my worry, and need to control outcomes. Accept my prayer. Help me to accept you and the graces of the Holy Spirit that I ask for today. Send me the gift of breath that I may greet with joy the Spirit which I know is singing deep within my heart and in my mind. And all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. From the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: Thank you, Dr. Rick, for coming on and sharing your expertise with us. I really appreciate it.
1: You're very welcome, Patty. Thank you for the invitation. all dole bendigo.
0: What a great interview with Dr. Rick. Before I conclude with the takeaways, I want to review the rubrics from the Third Roman Missal for each of the liturgies of the Triduum. These come straight from the introductory text before each liturgy, and they are identical in the Spanish version of the Roman Missal for the United States. So let's see what they say. This is for Thursday of the Lord's Supper at the evening Mass. Number three says, where a pastoral reason requires it, the local ordinary may permit another Mass to be celebrated in churches or churches and oratories in the evening, and in case of genuine necessity even in the morning, but only for the faithful who are in no way able to participate in the evening Mass. Care should, nevertheless, be taken that celebrations of this sort do not take place for the advantage of private persons or special small groups, and do not prejudice the evening Mass. So, for Holy Thursday, it is possible that there could be a another liturgy for the evening Mass, But you need to check with your ordinary. So double check with the worst liturgy office in your diocese or archdiocese. Now let's move on to Friday of the Passion of the Lord, which is Good Friday, of course. The Celebration of the Passion of the Lord In number four, it says on the afternoon of this day, about three o'clock, unless a later hour is chosen for a pastoral reason, there takes place the celebration of the Lord's passion consisting of three parts, namely liturgy of the word, adoration of the cross and Holy Communion. In the United States, if the size or nature of a parish or other community indicates the pastoral need for an additional liturgical service, the diocesan bishop may permit the service to be repeated later. This liturgy by its very nature may not, however, be celebrated in the absence of a priest. So, similarly to Holy Thursday, for pastoral reasons, the bishop can approve uh, additional liturgies for Good Friday. Now we come to the Easter Vigil in the Holy Night. Now, in the third edition of the Roman Missal, which is what we are using now in the United States, it says in number two, of this night's vigil, which is the greatest and most noble of all solemnities, there is to be only one celebration in each church, period. So in the previous edition, there was more description there that explained you could have an additional liturgy, an Easter liturgy, once the vigil was concluded using the liturgy of the word of the Easter vigil. But this third edition does not give those instructions. It's specifically says one celebration in each church. And you'll notice that there is no note saying that the bishop could give an exception to this rule for pastoral reasons. So now you've heard some of Dr. Rick's explanation and opinions, and now you've heard directly from the Roman Missal, the instructions that have been given from the liturgical rubrics. So hopefully that will help you decide as a leadership team how to move forward. Now, here are some of the key takeaways for this episode. Number one, first things first. Recognize your parish reality. Sometimes we like to stick our head in the sand or before we even realize it, the face of our parish family has changed and we're still doing ministry exactly like we were before. We talk a lot in this show about the See Judge Act methodology of pastoral planning. So the first step is to take a careful look where you are now, to see. Number two, the second movement of See, Judge, Act is judge. Meaning, look at the reality according to the teachings of the church. Like Dr. Rick says, it's time to ask, are we really doing what God has asked us to do? Is this consistent with the gospel? If we see we could be doing better, where are the places that we could improve? Dr. Rick suggests formation for the pastoral team of a parish. If you download the cheat sheet preparing your parish for a bilingual mass, you'll see a summary of the process he recommended and many resources to help with this formation stage. Be sure to reach out to your diocesan and archdiocesan liturgical office as well to find out what resources and guidance are available locally. Number three, now it's time to act. Determine where you'd like to go as a parish family and start taking even just baby steps to help get there. Like Dr. Rick suggested, start outside of liturgy first. Consider ways to unite the parish family through social activities, formation opportunities, leadership positions, and other ministries outside the liturgy. Little by little, start incorporating the different languages into each of the regular masses on occasion, which is good for awareness, creating a common repertoire, and for practice. Number 4. Pull a team together Once you've discovered as a leadership team that you would like to have a bilingual mass, pull together a planning team and personally invite members so that all the cultural and language groups of the parish are represented. Use the decisions that came out of the formation step to help guide the discussion. On the cheat sheet in the show notes, you'll find a list of things that this team will need to consider. In the next episode, we will go into more of the detailed guidance for how to incorporate the two languages and cultures into each part of the Mass. Number five. Yes, it is worth it. I know at St. Michael's, where I worked for eleven years, it has taken us a long time to work toward integrating the parish both inside and outside the liturgy, although there is always room to grow. I have to say that I believe our Bilingual Triduum Celebration is the highlight of the liturgical year. It is a lot of work for those involved in the planning and the celebration, but all that work is worth it. When Bilingual Masses are done well, they are a beautiful sign of our parish family being part of the one body of Christ. So don't give up. Start taking baby steps. Like Dr. Rick says, get out there and track down the help you need. I hope you found this episode helpful for your ministry and that you'll join us for part two, where we will get into the more practical tips and guidance for planning the liturgy itself, the music, the worship guides, the scripts, etc. Please take a moment to share these episodes with other ministers who they can help as well. We've done our best to help ministers find everything they need in one place. I also invite you to join our Gente Puente Facebook group, where I'll be sharing some of the scripts and worship guides that I created for our bilingual triduum celebration at St. Michael's that you can use as a model. We'll also be compiling any other resources that our members share on this topic, so come check it out at facebook.com slash groups slash Gente Puente. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to the Gente Puente podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any future episode. Thanks for listening today. May God bless you and your ministry as Gente Puente.